Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth, and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects. And rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women. Rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. Welcome to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. Today, we are joined in the studio by Jackie. Now, Jackie, you're going to have to say your surname for me. It's Mancinelli. Mancinelli. That is so cool. Isn't it? Mancinelli. Yeah. We had a lady, a girl on the podcast called Jane Moscadini, and we spent the, and and, um, Amber. This thing, it's like an Italian sounding surname. Where, Where is it? Is it Italian? Yeah, but it's my married name. I'm actually Irish and Dutch, so I married into an Italian family. Oh. I mean, you probably couldn't get any cooler than that. (laughs) Italian, Dutch, American. Where are you, Jackie? So I am in New Jersey, so East Coast, um, right outside of Philadelphia. Okay, I'm not going to attempt to do do an accent because that would not be good. It will be bad, I'm sure. You're yoik. Is that where you're from? <laughs> New Jersey. No. New Jersey. Oh, oh man. This is exactly what I was afraid of. So. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry. I know. I feel like, especially people who are not familiar with New Jersey, they think of that awful TV show, Jersey Shore. Uh-huh. And that's like what everyone thinks of. But um, I've never seen so, it. Thank goodness for that. Oh, it's good. Okay. It definitely makes the America look pretty, pretty bad. Oh, I think there's, I mean, you don't have to look far for an English program that does that for, for no. us. Yeah. Uh, jo- jo- Jersey Shores is like Geordie Shores, isn't it? Hang on. You say you don't have to look very far for an English program. What about the prime minister? Yeah, I was going to go into that. And then I thought, actually, do you know what? It's not time to get political. It's not time to get political. You've had... Um, You've had our what's his name, Donald Trump. We've got Boris oh, mm-hmm. Johnson. Let's just move on. Sounds good to me. Yeah, car <laughs> crash, right? <laughs> okay, Jackie. So, um, yeah, we'll probably cut all of that bit that involved all of the shenanigans. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Do you so, want to take it from the top? <laughs> just take it from the top. Oh, uh, we'll just we'll just start. Okay, I'm gonna start, right? Okay, cool. Um, what were we talking about? Yeah, not gonna attempt the accent, we said. So that's cool. We're not we won't get that. <laughs> Let's pretend we didn't. Let's pretend that we didn't. <laughs> we'll cut that bit. Um, so Jackie, you your Instagram handle, um, start healing together. Tell us a little bit about how you came to create that account and what it all means. Wow, that's a really big question to start. I love it. So in 2014, um, my husband and I decided to start our family. 
So we, and well, first I'm a high school teacher. Um, I've been teaching for 12 years now. I teach high school English and now ESL, which is English as a second language. So students that are new to the country. And when I first started my job, I was non-tenured, which meant I didn't really have job security. And since I was a new hire, um, I didn't want to take any sick days. So when I learned that our first pregnancy was ending in a missed miscarriage, Mm. I kept it a secret and I returned to work. Mm. And as we know, a missed miscarriage means that everything is still happening in my body. I still felt sick. I was still very bloated. My high school students definitely knew something was going on. Um, And I only took one day off just for surgery. And that was it. And then I was very ashamed. So I kept it a secret for a year. Um, Our next pregnancy, we were pregnant with um, our son, Richard. I carried to uh, 33 weeks and five days. And while I was at work, I didn't realize I was in preterm labor. So I taught all day and I thought I just didn't feel well. And I thought that I just had back pain, but it was labor. And my, um, our son was in distress. So I ended up having an emergency C-section that evening. And he passed away an hour after delivery from a fetal maternal hemorrhage, which is incredibly rare. So after that, um, I had to really juggle the two identities I had as, you know, Richard's mom, a lost mom, and then also a teacher where all of my students watched my pregnancy progress. They were there with me. Mm-hmm. So it was difficult. So I tried to battle like what I wanted to do with advocacy work to honor our son. So um, a little over a year ago, I worked on putting these two identities together and trying to support um, other educators going through pregnancy loss and infertility. So start healing together. That's its aim to really give the support that I wish I had. So we advocate for rights in the workplace. We work on how to break the news of a loss to staff and to students in an age appropriate manner. We work to facilitate discussions around grief create individualized plans for when a teacher is returning to work after a loss. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of holistic supports because we know how stigmatized these topics are, but it's a reality and returning to work after a loss, especially going back to a classroom full of children, it's really triggering on a daily basis. So it's important that, you know, everyone in that building knows how to handle it. Absolutely. First of all, I'm so, so sorry, Jackie, that that your little boy died. It's just such a horrendous thing for you to to have gone through and um, and obviously made so much worse by the fact that you didn't feel that you could talk about it. You didn't feel that you had that support at work and you didn't feel especially with children around. You felt triggered on a daily basis without having anywhere to turn. It's just must have been such an isolating experience on top of what was already completely heartbreaking. And I think it's so right what you're saying. Um, A friend of mine experienced a a later loss and she was a teacher as well. And she was in a position where lots of her colleagues were also pregnant and she went back to school, but the the children obviously knew that, that 
she was pregnant and then she was floored by a comment from a from one of her class members because she hadn't she didn't know how to prepare she didn't know how mm-hmm. to deal with it and she just ignored the comment and sort of moved on and because what else can you do like but if you can create some as you say like age appropriate way to speak to the children because i think when you're when you're little when you're at school your teachers particularly in the early early education your teachers sort of become like another parent don't they yes. you get really attached to them i remember i remember all my primary school teachers i remember their names i remember you know a lot about them because they're you have just one teacher for your class certainly that's why we have it in the uk so I think it's really important that we do bring those things together and and people, kids need to know that the te- their teachers are humans and that this is a very human experience as well. I think the earlier they can learn about it, the better. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because what I'm finding is that most schools will either ignore it, which we know is not the right way to go about it, because first and foremost, Start Healing Together pushes to recognize the educator as, you know, human and most important, like above all else, their mental and physical, emotional well-being is paramount. So, but what I'm finding is that when I talk to students and even parents from uh, when I lost Richard, they, their one primary concern was how I was doing. And, you know, that's what they care about. And like you said, it's those relationships. So you can't just ignore that anything happened. You know, they want to know that everyone's taking care of, the teacher's doing okay. And then returning to work is, it was terrifying. I had no idea what to expect. And neither did my students or coworkers. Yeah. Jackie, we were so excited to talk to you because we have so many teachers, don't we, Bex? Mm. We just seem to, I don't, I don't know why, I don't know what the reason is, but on our courses um, that we run, we have an awful lot of teachers and primary and secondary. Um, and then a, a lot of people that interact with us on Instagram are teachers. And I think it's one of those things that, you can't avoid triggers of children and kids and babies, but when you are going to work every day and being faced with kids, it must be incredibly difficult. So to be able to help people make those first steps when returning to work is really important. So what do you, what sort of things do you advise if someone's about to go back to work after some time off? Um, Firstly, people should take the time off, right? Yes. And that's that's actually something that we are working on mm. because um, unfortunately, bereavement leave is not necessarily in every teaching contract. And if bereavement leave is included, it's typically anywhere from three to seven days. The average is probably about five days. Mm-hmm. And pregnancy loss language or failed fertility treatment language is never included. So we are working to provide contract language anytime there's like a negotiation um, to update a contract, but we have had quite a bit of pushback. Right. But I mean, if we're looking at like I had a C-section, so really that should be eight weeks out, Mm -hmm. but I had maybe, so I had five bereavement days I had a handful of sick days and then I went on unpaid leave 
um, for about six weeks. Oh, that's shocking. It's it's not even just the physical recovery, is it? Because in the UK, if you are um, in employment and lose a baby past 24 weeks, you're entitled to the full year of maternity leave. See, and that's... that's Not all paid. It's... It's not all paid, but you get your job back at the end. Like it's yeah, there's still job protection. Yeah. And that's what's important because I've talked to some teachers that have either been forced to resign or have opted to leave their position because they didn't feel supported. And the what I'm noticing is that the UK has far better supports, especially for loss and for um you know work. Like I know what your organization, your platform is setting up to support employers and employees. And I see what Tommy's is doing, but in the U S it's, it's just not discussed. Mm. So we have one state, Illinois, that offers um, 12 weeks of paid leave. If you have a pregnancy loss now, New Jersey, where I live, it offers 12 weeks of paid leave. If you have a baby that lives if your baby dies, you don't have anything. Wow. It's just to, to have to, to manage, I just think it's so scandalous, like to have to manage the loss of your child. And then on top of that, manage financial insecurity and job insecurity and returning back to work with triggers and grief and mental health worries. It just seems so unfair that you have to deal with that on top of everything else you're going through. It's almost, it would almost be, I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous, I know, but it would almost be better <laughs> to deal with one of those things if you had a baby. Because then if mm-hmm. you had a baby, you'd sort of like, yeah, okay, I'm not sure if my job's still available after a year, but I've got my baby. Do you know what I mean? But if you're in the position where I'm now worried about my finances I'm worried about you know serious long-term health implications of me returning to work mentally and I don't have a baby to comfort myself with to 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 be able to kind of tally off that that horrendous situation that you're in it's just so unfair yeah and it's it's shocking right the fact that I'm like we're even talking about this because it's not the more I do this work the more shocked people are at the state of affairs But I mean, just this past year and the pandemic has definitely um, exacerbated a lot of longstanding issues in the education system. We hardly have any substitute teachers. There's a huge teacher shortage across the country. And so on top of not being able to care for yourself, there's this like extra layer of guilt for taking off from work because then the onus is put onto everyone you work with to kind of scramble and cover, you know, the shortage, but with a loss, I mean, I've worked with several teachers this year who didn't want to use their sick days because they wanted to save them for future maternity leave. So despite having Mm -hmm. given birth, not in the right mental or physical state, they return to work. And then I have um, some male coworkers I've talked with and teachers across the country that felt like they couldn't really express that they needed extra assistance because there's that stigma around mental health. And then also they felt like, you know, it's like, it's invisible. And how do you advocate for mental health when it's not 
you know, visible to your employer. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And it's scary to, to start those conversations. If you've got an employer that's more open to discussing things and there's there are policies in place that give you sort of, you know, a starting point for these discussions, um, it can make things a little bit easier. Also, if you've got colleagues in the workplace who have been through something similar and there's a bit of a support network there, but if there's nothing there and you're just on your own, um, not knowing where to start, like how do you even begin to have those conversations with your boss? Especially if it's, you know, a man that you don't feel that comfortable talking about this sort of thing with. The the fear of the reception that you're going to get would probably silence a lot of people, wouldn't it? Yes. And unfortunately, I feel like that latter situation is more frequent mm. where it's so uncomfortable. People don't know how to have these conversations and, you know, they may have never experienced this in their own personal life. So it's ends up being a little more judgmental, I think. Yeah. So that's kind of the beauty of what I'm doing is that we can serve as that intermediary. We can help to facilitate the conversations. We can give some starting points. Um, currently we're working on like toolkits to provide depending on like the grade level and um, the specific teaching position. So, I mean, the big thing is trying to advocate for yourself, but when mm. you are in the throes of grief, you have no idea what you need. Yeah. Definitely. I think this is really interesting. We have a lot of women who um, are, you know, struggling because they don't know how to approach going back to work and they're terrified. And whether you're a teacher or not, you have those things like you're worried about pregnant colleagues, you're worried how you're going to deal with them. And you're worried about whether you should tell people or what management will do or what your meetings will be like, or, you know, there's all these things that you worry about. I mean, it's a huge thing, isn't it? And often I think, women often women say it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be often it's not as because the build-up is often worse than the thing itself yeah but for some people you know it, it really is it it really is awful going back to work and they need just need more time and they need more more help with these things like resource packs and they need someone else to point them in the right direction and help them in order to deal with things themselves because as you say when you're in the grief in you when you're deep in that darkness of grief you don't know you know getting dressed in the morning is a bit of a struggle I remember I, I just remember that sitting on the edge of my bed just being like today's another day and I've got yeah. to deal with it imagine having to then go and teach 30 kids yeah exactly exactly yeah and two additional um, issues that come up on occasion is one your student may be pregnant so you may have a pregnant student in your class. Mm, and then also, that's you know, I was just, um, I posted something on Instagram uh, just a few weeks ago about if you have a student with your child's name, yeah. you know, and you have to use that on like a daily basis. So mm. it's those little complications that they happen on occasion. But I mean, you know, in the past I've had students like, asking to use the printer in my classroom to print their baby shower invites. And wow. you know, that's incredibly triggering because what do you do? That's still a student you have to care for, that you have to teach and build a relationship with. But then also just seeing them is really triggering. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. They're just things that you wouldn't even consider. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
there's so much there's so much work to be done here and I think so when you say that you you're working on providing toolkits what what's in that what does that look like yeah so we're in the process of right now we're really focusing on creating something to give to districts and administrators and say okay here's how to announce a loss to your staff here's the process to go through exact steps to take And a primary component of that is communicating with either the teacher directly, but if that's too difficult for that teacher, then communicating with their support person. And we really advocate to have at least one to three or more support people for that teacher that can serve as the go-to point people. But then also we really want someone to be available where maybe on a schedule where the teacher can say, you know what? I just started teaching my first class. I'm definitely going to start crying any second. Who can I call to get me out of this classroom? Because yeah. you can't just leave your students unattended. And you mm-hmm. also, it's not ideal for you to break down crying in front of them. So what do you do? But then the other thing that we're working on is individualized plans, depending on the grade, to have these conversations with students. So how to communicate it first to parents. Um, encourage them to facilitate discussions based on how comfortable the parents are. And then also giving really short scripts to the students. So when the teacher returns, they don't say anything that's inappropriate or unintentionally hurtful. And they can just say like, welcome back, or I'm so happy to see you. Yeah. Yeah. And really trying to create as welcoming an environment for that teacher as possible. I guess with a, a later loss, whether it's been pretty obvious that you're pregnant to the kids, um, uh, pretty obvious to the kids that you're pregnant, sorry. Just a bit weird. Um, I, I guess it's something that you really need to address because they're going to have all these questions, aren't they? Um, and it's better to be upfront about it. And like you say, give them the, the tools and the advice of, of how to manage it. But if it's an earlier loss, is that something that um, you think that should be encouraged to be shared with with the pupils? Or So I think it depends on, first, the teacher's comfort level, but then also I think the age of the students. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, um, including myself, the teachers kind or the students had an inkling that I was pregnant, but I had not announced it yet. So I opted not to tell them. And then that was also, I think, internalized. I just wasn't ready to really address it personally. But then a lot of teachers, they just feel like that's a little too personal. It's just when they're showing, they've announced it. You can't, it's much harder to not say something. Yeah. Um, But I think it depends definitely on the age. You know, if it's high school students, you have a good rapport, maybe with one particular class. Or maybe, I mean, sometimes we build really good relationships with parents. So talking with the parent. Um, But I know that I recently spoke with a parent who, you know, I had her daughter uh, six years ago. And I said, what was that conversation like with your daughter? When she came home, she knew I lost my son. And she said that um, it was difficult because it was the first time she had ever her daughter had ever had that experience. And that's hard because I know that I was that first experience for everyone. Yeah. 
but then also, um, you know, the, her daughter really just cared about how I was doing and yeah, and they all had questions, but they weren't necessarily questions they asked me. So just having some sort of support system, like maybe with the guidance department or a psychologist in the school who can answer questions for them. Yeah. Kids ask the strangest questions, don't they? Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) But they're also, they're quite resilient. They're very sort of um, like facts are, are what is important to them like how did this happen and why did this happen and and all of those sorts of things um but they are very resilient they can be very sad and then the next minute switch and be off playing again can't they yeah and that's when so Richard was born in May I took the rest of the school year off I returned in September I was so scared to see my students Mm. because several of them I taught the year before because I have juniors and seniors and uh, the students were fine. It was my coworkers that felt the most uncomfortable. Yeah. But the teenagers were fine. Yeah. It is difficult. We talk about it quite a lot about how other people, adults are very awkward. And although they, what they say is well-meant they often fuck up and say the wrong things oh, or those say nothing at all. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I did have a lot of silence. Yeah. And I think what hurt the most because it still stings is um, people would see me in the hallway and then do an abrupt turn and duck into the nearest classroom. Right. And it was like, Oh my gosh, I went from being like very, popular and like oh my gosh how are you feeling how is your pregnancy going to like social pariah yeah Yeah. and then there was a lot of silence but those like um I don't know all those things I think people think sound good but are really painful like God needed another angel or it wasn't meant to be and at least you can get pregnant and like ugh, yeah thank you yeah the at least Yeah, at least it's just so hard, isn't it? At least you can try again, you know, all that sort of stuff that it's just no help at all. It's no help at all. But, but we just, it's, it's also really important to kind of acknowledge the fact that no one means to, no one means to cause further pain by doing that, do they? Like I did it. I remember saying that to people that I had, Mm -hmm. that, that had miscarriages before I'd experienced loss. I said, oh, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. You know, that's a really good sign and and just trying to dig people out of their their grief but you can't you absolutely can't actually you shouldn't you shouldn't you should be able to we should as a as a society be able to sit with our grief and feel it and move on from it because if we just try and bury it then it's just going to come back worse I mean that's what's really great about speaking to kids in schools about this sort of stuff is that it's not going to be as taboo a subject for them when they grow up it will still be devastating and it still probably won't be spoken about as as freely as it should be but it won't be something that they've never heard of before and it won't be something that shocks them when it happens to someone around them Um, and hopefully they'll be better equipped to deal with it rather than us lot like (laughs) when we were growing up yeah I think often like we think about kids as being 
like much less resilient than they are and we worry with our adult heads we worry about them and what they should be exposed to and what Mm. they shouldn't be exposed to and but actually children I think are so incredibly amazing at taking things on board and and dealing with things and like racism doesn't for example doesn't exist in children because it's like learned behavior and I think in that same respect we can teach kids early doors that this is a really natural part of life it's devastating but it it might happen and and that if it does it's okay to talk about um it's okay to seek support and it's okay to take time for yourself and it's okay to grieve because it's a really really sad thing that might happen in your life Mm. and I think if you're if you're taught at a young age that that is normal then if it does happen you're like oh I learned about this yeah it sucks it's not going to make it hurt any less but it is going to make it easier to seek the support and the help that you desperately need and it is going to make it easier to talk about it and and to to feel less isolated yeah yeah, the whole, I mean, this shame and the stigma and the need to feel silent when you are at your most vulnerable mm-hmm. and just in so much pain, it doesn't make any sense. Because when we have another type of loss, like um, a few months before my son died, my dad passed away suddenly. And everyone kind of already had like steps to go through. They knew what to say. They knew how to provide support. It was like textbook. It was something that was understood. And, but then when I lost my son, everyone's like, oh my gosh, like this happens. And like my mom lost her son before I was born. And so I saw her grief a little bit, but generationally, I mean, there's such, such a big difference where she opens up now a little bit more since I'm doing all this work, but she kept it really internalized all of those years. Mm. Yeah. People do, don't they? And uh, generations gone by, there are some people who've never spoken a word about their losses to other people. And um, that's really hard to carry that with you. I mean, Mm. like you said, Bex, the only thing that ever gave you any relief was, um, speaking to other people and opening up about it imagine having to like just those anniversaries tick around every year and you just what cry in the shower to yourself and not mention it it's really sad we don't want that to be happening to people anymore do we no, no. absolutely not it's funny what you say though Jackie about how your when your dad died just before Richard died and it's the difference in how people reacted the two I think that's so that's what we need to change, isn't it? We need to change the rule book on how you treat people because just because it's 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 less less often or, or it's talked about less or whatever, we need to make sure that people do have the right words and they do have the right the right tools, as you said earlier, to to deal with this support because it is it can be taught. I'm such a firm believer in the fact that you can't teach the emotion behind baby loss to anyone that hasn't been through it, but you can teach them from an educational point of view, how to support others. And if we can, then we absolutely have a responsibility to do so. And I think that the work that you do is incredibly, will be incredibly beneficial to everyone who receives it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one thing that we really work on is because if we, in my presentations, I 
scale down how many things I say not to say, because I think if you overwhelm people, then they're going to clam up and go right back to the beginning of not saying anything. Yeah. Yeah. So we focus on admitting that you don't know what to say. Yeah. And, you know, and it's okay to feel uncomfortable in that situation. It would be a little more odd if you did feel comfortable. Yeah. You can say, you know, I don't know what to say, but, you know, know that I'm thinking about you. Yeah. And really moving away from tell me if you need anything, but maybe specifying exactly what, you know, you can offer. Give like an A, B, C, D, pick one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, leaving a note on the teacher's desk. Um, little things where, you know, marking the anniversary in your calendar for each year. So it's all these Mm. like little things that are very simple and can be done. I think with, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be stopping by that teacher's classroom, having that one-on-one conversation, a text message or a card is really simple. And I think easy for everyone, but really focusing that it's okay to talk about and that it's much more appreciated than silence. Yes. Yes. Here, here. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing what you're doing. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And um, yeah, I think we'd love to chat to you further on um, what we can give to our listeners and and the people that follow us on, you know, tips for going back to work and that sort of thing. Um, If that's something that you can help with, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Fabulous. Mm. And where are you hoping to go next with all this? Um, Actually, one thing I'm working on is um, changing a law in my state. Because like I said earlier in the um, podcast where New Jersey, my state offers um, paid maternity leave, but we want to adjust that to include 12 weeks of payment for a loss at 20 weeks or later. So that is my newest endeavor and, you know, hoping to bring this, I mean, I'm working, I'm mostly across my state and in our tri-state area, but working to get across the country and, you know, I've connected with the UK and Australia. So hoping just to spread a little bit more. That would be amazing. Yeah. Let us know what we can do to help. Yeah. And just, uh, you know, I love talking about my son, sharing his story and the work that I'm doing in honor of him. So it's, it's really healing for me too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Wonderful. So have you got work today? I do. I took off this morning. So I'm heading in for my uh, afternoon classes. Okay. Well, have a fabulous day. You too. And um, keep in touch. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so Love much you. for joining us, Jackie. All right. All the best. Take care. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams. And to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.